0: Leviticus 8. I'd like to pray one more time before we open the scriptures today. Father, again I pray that today you will give us an experience of your grace. And that you will free our hearts to accept your grace. Father, sometimes it is just hard to believe. Especially, Lord, when we are confronted by our sinful nature. Especially, Lord, when we see very clearly that we are undeserving and unworthy. But, Father, You are tenacious and You are persistent. And we need that because we need convincing of Your grace. So I pray that You would reveal this to us today, open our eyes, that we might see and know and experience and, Father, feel Your grace. Holy Spirit, teach us through your word now in Jesus' name. Amen. Leviticus chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread. And assemble all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. When the congregation was assembled at the doorway of the tent of meeting Moses said to the congregation This is the thing which the Lord has commanded to do. Well then Moses and Aaron had Aaron and his sons come near and washed him with water. And he put the tunic on Aaron and girded him with the sash and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the artistic band of the ephod with which he tied it to him. And then he placed the breast piece on him and in the breast piece he put the urim and the thummim He also placed the turban on his head, and on the turban at its front, he placed the golden plate, the holy crown, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses then took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Next, Moses had Aaron's sons come near, and clothed them with tunics, and girded them with sashes, and bound caps on them, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. And Moses slaughtered it, and took some of the bull with his finger, and put some of it around the horns of the altar, and purified the altar. And then he poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar, and consecrated it to make atonement for it. And he also took all the fat that was on the entrails and the lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys and their fat, and Moses offered it up in smoke on the altar. But the bull and its hide and its flesh and its refuse he burned in the fire outside the camp, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he presented the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. Moses slaughtered it and sprinkled the blood around on the altar When he had cut the ram into its pieces Moses offered up the head and the pieces and the suet in smoke And after he had washed the entrails and the legs with water Moses offered up the whole ram in smoke on the altar It was a burnt offering for a soothing aroma It was an offering by fire to the Lord Just as the Lord had commanded Moses Then, Then he presented the second ram The ram of ordination And Aaron and his sons lay their hands on the head of the ram. Moses slaughtered it and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. He also had Aaron's sons come near and Moses put some of the blood on the lobe of their right ear and on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. And then Moses sprinkled the rest of the blood around on the altar. He took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and their fat and the right thigh and from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord he took one unleavened cake and one cake of bread mixed with oil and one wafer and he placed them on the portions of fat and on the right thigh and these and then he put all these on the hands of Aaron and on the hands of his sons and presented them to as a wave offering before the Lord. Then Moses took up from their hand, hands and offered them up in smoke on the altar with the burnt offering. They were an ordination offering for a soothing aroma. It was offered by fire to the Lord. Well, Moses also took the breast and presented it for a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And so Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron. On his garments, on his sons, and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, and his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. And then Moses said to Aaron and to his sons, Boil the flesh at the doorway of the tent of meeting, and eat it there together with the bread which is in the basket of the ordination offering, just as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. The remainder of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn in the fire. You shall not go outside the doorway of the tent of meeting for seven days until the day that the period of your ordination is fulfilled. For He will ordain you through seven days. And then the Lord commanded to do as has been done this day, to make atonement on your behalf. At the doorway of the tent of meeting, moreover, you shall remain day and night for seven days, and keep the charge of the Lord, so that you will not die. For so I have been commanded. Thus Aaron and his sons did all the things which the Lord had commanded through Moses. In Leviticus chapter 8... Chapter 9 and chapter 10, we read of the entire eight-day ordination of Aaron and his sons as priests of Israel. And I want you to understand that this is no ordinary ordination. No casual consecration. God is setting apart Aaron and his sons. He's doing something amazing. For not only is he setting apart these men, but he is setting up, setting the stage for a perpetual priesthood. Now, these three chapters are amazing. What happens in chapter 9 and chapter 10, we'll have to it for another time. Even in the process of ordination, there will be an amazing sin. And so we can recognize that these men, this Aaron and his sons, are certainly not worthy of the ordination that the Lord is giving them. Please understand that as we talk about this this morning. Now, to the Jew, the priesthood is huge. The priesthood is critical. It's through the ministry of the priests that the people receive atonement. And as some in Israel anticipate a future rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, a legitimate Aaronic priesthood is absolutely necessary. But there's a problem. In AD 70, when the temple was destroyed, all of the lineages, all of the records of the priestly lines were destroyed along with it. In fact, what's kind of interesting to note is there was only one priest whose lineage survived the destruction in A.D. 70, and it was Jesus. For God had seen fit just 10, 15 years before that to have the Gospels of Matthew and Luke written with Jesus' lineage written right in there. His lineage is the only one that survived that destruction of Jerusalem. And so for years and years, the priesthood, the Jews have had a problem. And that's knowing for sure who the priests really are. Now, one way of doing it is by the last name of Kohen. Because if you know anything about the priesthood or Israel, the word Kohen in the Hebrew is the word priest. And so a Jewish person, even alive today with the last name of Kohen, might possibly be of the line of Aaron. But there's no really way to prove it unless you've got that that lineage. Kohen, the Hebrew word for priest. The Hebrew word for priesthood is Kohanim. And so if you see someone or know someone or if you are someone with the last name of Kohen, you might be in that lineage, but there's no way to absolutely be sure. At least there wasn't until 1997 when something interesting happened. Jewish geneticist Dr. Carl Skorecki discovered something amazing in the DNA signature of Jews with the last name of Kohen. He says, and I quote, it's called the Cohen modal haplotype. Write that down in your notes, which is a DNA signature consisting of specific genetic markers on the Y chromosome of Cohen's. Dr. Skarecki said the simplest, most straightforward explanation is that these men have the Y-chromosome of Aaron. The study suggests that a 3,500-year-old tradition is correct and now has a biological counterpart. Dr. David Goldstein in Oxford University Science News, October 3rd, 1998, said over 90% of the Kohens studied share the same genetic marker. Amazing. So apparently... The Lord was protecting the lineage after all. As he said in Exodus chapter 40, verse 15, their anointing will qualify them for a perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. God is saying, I will always have priests for Israel. And when the time is right, the priests will be available and the people will begin to understand. Isn't it interesting that it wasn't until 1997, 1998, that this information came about? Now, if you study prophecy, if you're into those things, which I hope you are, you might recognize that, wow, the timing is fascinating. Israel becoming a nation in 1940, now in 1998, toward the close of the century, suddenly now we can tell who the priests are, what the lineage is, by looking at their DNA signature. Who would have thought? But I tell you that for another reason. This perpetual priesthood began with no ordinary ordination. God is setting the stage, was setting the stage for a perpetual priesthood. But the priesthood I'm talking about is not the priesthood of Aaron. It's a greater priesthood. A more amazing, a more stunning, possibly a more unbelievable priesthood than that of these men. It's the priesthood of all believers in Christ. Now, a few weeks ago on Wednesday night, we played at this a little bit. We talked a bit about the priesthood and about the whole idea that if you're a Christian, you are a royal priest. How many of you feel like that this morning? Let me just see a show of hands. We've got one or two. Galen certainly is a royal priest in his own mind. A legend, (laughs) if you will. You know, it's interesting. Two guys, at least I didn't see over here, two guys raised their hands. And I say that's awesome because you're right. You are royal priests. But you're not alone. You're in a room full of royal priests. Yet the rest of us apparently have a little trouble believing that. Accepting that. Because we know where we've come from. Well, listen to a few scriptures from the Bible this morning on this. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter said, You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Me, Lord? Yes, you. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And remember, the key recipients of the book of Leviticus are the called. The called The Vayikra in the Hebrew or the Ekklesia in the Greek, the called out, is the people, are the people who this book is written for. And you are, if you are in Christ, you are the called. I don't feel like the called, Rick. That's okay. But it doesn't change the fact. It doesn't change the truth. And sometimes we need to be able to step back and set our feelings about ourselves, about our sinful nature aside, and recognize that God has elevated His people, yes to a place we don't deserve, but to a place to serve Him just the same. We see some types in these priests, by the way, of our own ordination, our own non-ordinary ordination. The fact that we have been ordained in Christ. And the pictures here, the types are amazing. I'm going to give you a few of them this morning. You may want to jot these down if you've got a pencil and want to take notes. The first is this, in Christ listen in Christ I'm ordained to be spotless no way verse 6 of chapter 8 going back then Moses had Aaron and his sons come near and washed them with water the ordination of Aaron and the ordination of his sons to the priesthood began my friends with a full body washing Moses washed them clean pure spotless and if you wanted to become a Jew today that would be part of the process In fact, here's what it takes. If you're considering Judaism, hope you're not because Jesus fulfilled Judaism, but if you were, this is what you would have to do to become a Jew. You'd have to spend at least a year of study in Jewish law and customs, making sure you got down, you understood the 613 laws expected of a Jewish person. Once you understood that, felt like you were ready, then you get to pass an oral examination before a court of rabbis. that sounds like fun. Then, for men, there's circumcision. (laughs) If a man is already circumcised, they still have to go through a pinprick process. So I'm saying right there, I'm done. But then, after all of that, full immersion in the mikveh the mikveh is a ritual cleansing bath it's interesting that baptism has been along, around a long time that it was the, the ritual cleansing for becoming a proselyte Jew for years before John the Baptist came along and said listen we're not just baptizing to become a Jew now we are baptizing we are immersing for one reason for repentance because the king is coming He's coming. He's near. Get ready. Prepare yourselves. So John was in the Jordan. Man, he was putting people down in the water. He was washing them clean—a baptism of repentance—and then Jesus comes along and changes it again. Listen to how Paul describes it now. Titus three verse five. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Full body, washing. That is the beginning. That's the beginning part of the process of this ordination in Christ. Again, we call it baptism. Now, I know there's controversy in the church over baptism. It's actually really unfortunate. If you're simple-minded like me, you don't have a problem with it. But there are so many different ways of viewing baptism in the church today that people are really confused. Let's just be simple-minded for a moment. And understand a couple of things. Belief precedes Baptism. Well, how do you know that, Rick? Because every time someone was baptized in the Bible, they believed first. Every situation. And Jesus said, believe and be baptized, and you will be saved. Believe not, and you'll be condemned. Belief precedes baptism. But also, baptism simply means immersion. That's what the word means. Whether you want it to or not, there are two Greek words. And we were just talking about this Wednesday night. Baptizo and rantizo Baptizo being to submerge Rantizo meaning meaning to sprinkle And so you've got these these two words It's interesting that every time someone is baptized in the Bible It's baptizo, full immersion Rantizo is never used So again, a simple minded guy like me would say Take the drink Go in Be immersed Why? What's the big deal? It's a legalistic thing If you're not baptized, you're not saved I didn't say that Salvation is by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us. That's how you're saved. But there is a way that they baptize in the first century church. And the picture is important, gang, because it is a full body washing. We recognize that we start out. We are ordained to be spotless in Christ. Now Peter said, you know, it's not, baptism saves you not as, as a, let me look it up. Second uh, Peter, hang on, this is an important one. Second Peter three. It's not in my notes, so I've got to look for it. Hang on. If you know where it is, tell me. The so First Peter three. Ha! Ah, first Peter three. Verse twenty one. Peter's talking about Noah and how eight people were saved through water. I want you to hear this. It's important to understand this distinction. He says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Oh, Rick, wait a minute. You just said, grace saved me. And now you're saying, baptism saves me? Listen to what Peter says. It saves you not as removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. It's an appeal It's saying, Lord, I believe in You, and I am appealing to Your mercy, to Your grace for my salvation.
1: It's an outward
0: act of an inward miracle that God already does when you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so, again, the simple-minded approach to baptism is that it is a full washing. It's the beginning of the ordination process. Just like Aaron, just like his sons, just like the priesthood, they began, they were ordained with this mikvah, this full washing. God wants his priesthood to be spotless. Yeah, but Rick, I was baptized. And like within 48 hours, I was already not spotless anymore. I understand that. And so you keep washing. I got to be baptized again? No. You keep washing over and over. Ephesians 5.25 Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present himself a church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she would be holy and blameless. One you guys, do me a favor. Open that door. I'm already getting hot. All right. Is that better? <laughs> By the way, can I... Okay, pause. Time out just for a moment. If you're sitting in the barn and you're getting hot, open a door, okay? It's all right. Stand up in the middle of the service, walk to the back, open the door, open it up, get it wide. That's okay. It amazes me. We will sit here and we will swelter to death because we're afraid of doing anything because Rick's teaching right now. Come on. All right. If you're cold... Bring a sweater. Okay, this is is important. And I I want you to settle in this for a minute. This whole issue of baptism and everything else. The point, the picture of spotlessness is critical. I am ordained to be spotless in Christ. And again, you say, well, I'm not spotless. I'm spotted all over with sin. This cannot be for me. And I say to you, well, I wonder how Aaron felt during his ordination. Just some 40 days or so after he had been working as a goldsmith on the calf. How did it feel to stand up in front of all Israel, with all Israel knowing his sin was out there while he's being washed and ordained? Aaron understood what it's like to be spotted, but still to be ordained to be spotless. Even with sin on his head... What about Paul? Listen, you are not alone in your sin, in those feelings of utter failure and despair, in the shame that we can find ourselves in so easily. Paul said this, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because He considered me faithful, putting me into service, literally into the ministry. Paul is blown away. He says, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, in other words, a terrorist, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. Reopen that door, somebody. You <laughs> can put something in front of it, too, if it will just slide that back. There yeah, you go. Paul says, I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. Here's a couple things you can let your sin do to you as an ordained priest of the Lord. Two things your sin can do. Number one, you can allow it to drive you spiraling into despair. You have that choice. Even after having been saved by Jesus. Even after giving your life to Him. Or you can wallow in despair and worry and guilt and shame. Or, or, you can allow the sin to drive you rushing into the arms of forgiveness that are open for you even today. Over and over. The priestly sacrifices were not what God was looking for, gang. They were just shadows of a greater thing. Psalm fifty-one, verse seventeen, verse sixteen and seventeen. You do not delight in sacrifice; otherwise, I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are what? Anybody know? A broken spirit. Listen. If your spirit is broken this morning, that is your offering. That is the sacrifice that pleases the Lord. A broken and contrite heart God will not despise. When we can recognize, when we can stop, when we are faced dead on, head on by our sin. When we recognize those spots and blemishes, something amazing happens for the child of Jesus. For the person who is in Christ. Andrew Bernard says, this has become my favorite quote of recent years. Andrew Bernard says, A sense of sin renders Jesus precious to the soul. When I can go to Jesus, even in my, yeah, in your worst state, that's the point. That's the idea. Look at verse 7, chapter 8. He put a tunic on Aaron, and girded him with the sash, and clothed him with the robe, and put the ephod on him, and girded him with the artistic band of the ephod, which he tied it to him. And he placed the breast piece on him, and the breast in the breast piece he put the arm and the thummim. And he also placed the turban on his head, and on the turban at its front he placed the golden plate. What did that golden plate say on it? It said, Holy to the Lord. How do you think Aaron's feeling Now? So I'm washed, undressed, holy to the Lord, and I still know I am a sinner. I'm still a broken man. But Aaron, Aaron, you're getting ordained, buddy. God is doing something here. In Christ, I'm not only ordained to be spotless. Number two, in Christ, I'm ordained to be robed in righteousness. And it's not my righteousness. It's not my covering. The clothing doesn't belong to me. It's given to me by the Father. Isaiah 61, verse 10. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will leap in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. I'm ordained to be spotless. I'm ordained to be robed in righteousness. You could say, I'm cleaned and dressed. Which is good, because the Lord said that Peter was going to be a fisher of men. So I am cleaned and dressed before the Lord. Number three, I'm ordained, and this is fascinating to me, interesting. I'm ordained from head to toe. Look at verse 22. It tells us he presented the second ram, the ram of ordination, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. Moses slaughtered it and took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. One of those passages you are reading. go, that's just weird. <laughs> you got blood dripping off his ear, dripping off his thumb, dripping off his big toe. And the Bible is explicit about it. Why? It's a graphic illustration, gang, that the priest is marked in blood in three critical areas. The, the ear, the hand, and the foot. Romans ten seventeen says, faith comes from hearing. And hearing by the word of Christ. Again, his word is to be in the ear of the high priest. Now Jesus often ended his parables this way. He, He said, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. But then his apostles at one point said, well, why do you teach him parables? you want us to hear, I don't understand. Why are you teaching these stories? Why not just come right out with it? Jesus said the following, Matthew 13, verse 13. I speak to them in parables, because while seeing, they do not see. And while hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled. You will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. And with their ears they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they'd see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart. And return, and I would heal them. And Jesus says, so I teach in parables. You make it harder to understand? No, I make it easier. I get my word into their ear through these stories. And these stories simmer in their heads. And they begin to think them through. And suddenly, the light goes on. Blood on the ear, for we are to hear the word of the Lord. Blood on the right thumb of the right hand. Because His work is in the hand of the priest. The work of the Lord. It's what the priest is called to. It's what the royal priest, speaking of us, is called to. We are called to the work. The work. What do you mean, the work? The work. Well, there are those who have worked so hard, being faithful Christians, they just burn themselves out. You probably know a few of them because they tend to drag you along with them. <laughs> it's all about getting it done. It's all about the work. It's all about showing up on the work day, and making sure you're in every single Bible study, making sure you have your quiet time every morning for 15.7 seconds, and then getting to school and, and making sure that you're continuing and throughout the day talking about Jesus, you've got to work, work, work. Because if you don't, God might show up. You've seen the bumper sticker? Jesus is coming, look busy. And there are so many Christians There are so many It's on Bill Beathard's refrigerator I love that there are so many Christians who live that way. Work, work, work. Well, Rick, but now you're telling us that we're supposed to work the work of the priest. You want to know what the work is? Check this out. John chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus said, Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him the Father has set His seal, and they said to Him, Well, what shall we do? That we may work the works of God. And Jesus said, This is the work of God. Believe in him. And believe in the one whom he has sent. That doesn't sound like work. That is God's work. Believe in him. Believe him. We're talking about faith. James says faith without works is dead. Not because works creates faith, but faith produces works. You've done it, the work is going to happen if you're focused on the faith. But if you're focused on the work, guess what? Works without faith is religion. And it's hard, and it's tiring, and it's demanding, and it will sap the life out of you. But Paul said in Romans 10.9, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. It's all about faith. You set your heart on trusting the Lord. You ask Him to lead you in your thoughts, in your attitudes, and your behavior. That's going to follow. The righteousness will happen. The blood on the thumb, the works of the Lord. And of course there's blood on the big toe as well. Because His way is for the feet of the priest. The royal priest is to walk in His way. I love this verse, Isaiah 30, 21. Your ears will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. And whenever you turn to the right or turn to the left, this is the way. Walk in it. Walk in the way. Listen to the word. Do the works of the Lord, which is faith, and walk in the way. I am ordained. I am ordained from head to toe. And what's interesting about being ordained from head to toe is I begin to understand the love of the Father. I don't just walk around from head to toe. I walk around head over heels in love. With the Lord. Amen. Number four, I'm ordained to bring a blessing. I'm ordained to bring a blessing. You know, one of the most simple and wonderful tasks of the priest was to bring a blessing to the people, to bless them, to raise his hands up, to pray over the people, to bring a blessing. It's almost so simple you'd think it's unmentionable, but I, I got to ask: Are you a blessing or a bummer? Are you a blessing to those around you? Is that your your call in life? Or is your call to criticize? Are you a blessing? Are you about building up the body or tearing it down? Oh, I'm always really positive when the body's gathered at church. Hey, the body is every individual in here. You tear one person down in this body, you are tearing down the whole body. Are you a blessing? Or are you a bummer? Is your mouth filled with encouragement? or discouragement. The priest is ordained to bring a blessing. And something fantastic happens when you do this. Look at Leviticus chapter 9 down in verse 22. It tells us that Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. And then Moses and Aaron went out of the tent of meeting and when they came out and blessed the people watch this the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. When you and I determine determined to live lives of blessing, the glory comes. The glory comes. We sing the song, Show Me Your Glory. You want to see the glory of God in this place? Then you set about to be a blessing to the body. You be about building people up, loving people, encouraging people, using whatever gifts God has given you to encourage the body. And I promise you, you will see the glory in this place. So as we pray, show us your glory. Let's also pray, help me to be a blessing. There are many other things, many other ways a royal priest can bless, but we're going to do one last thing and be done this morning. Number five, I'm ordained, but not just for the people. I'm ordained for the king. I'm ordained for the king. My ordination is as to him first, even before the rest of you. And the same is true of you. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6 says, He made us to be a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. And if God put out a job description, that would be it. Uh, what? We haven't been called as temp agencies. We haven't been called as part-time help. He is building a kingdom. And He is calling you to be a priest in that kingdom. Right now, yes, but also in the world to come. This is no ordinary ordination. I am ordained to be spotless washed with water in the word I am ordained to be robed in the very righteousness of God and it doesn't come from me it's from Him I'm ordained from head to toe His word in my ear His work in my hands and His way for my feet and I'm ordained to bring a blessing to the people when I bring that blessing what happens? what happens when you bring the blessing? the glory comes the glory comes And again I'll say it If you are looking for the glory in this place Determined to be a blessing And the glory of God will come It will flood this place But most of all I am ordained For the King Now listen Close your Bibles And just listen for a moment I've been struck by some things This last week I've been struck by the reality of Where we all really are in life When I first finished writing all this stuff out And doing this study I closed my Bible I was like this is good This is encouraging When we had a week on blood And a week on fire We need something on being a good priesthood You know We need something to encourage And build us up And, 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 and help be excited For what God is doing And I finished it And I almost didn't bring it this morning Because God showed me something this week He helped me to see That when I am focused on my sin And when I am caught up in my shame It is very hard to hear this It's very hard to hear that I'm supposed to be a priest When I can barely make it to church It's very hard to think that I'm supposed to be a priest When I know what's in my heart when I know what these hands have done, what these ears have heard, and where these feet have gone. And we're all there. We're all there. And there are some of you this morning who are sitting in the midst of your shame, and you know nobody else around you knows about it. But you're sitting there and you're saying, this is for everybody else, this is not for me, this is not for me. And I am telling you, this is for you. For you, we're all called as royal priests, royally messed up people by a royal priesthood. Why would God do this? Is it because I, I've earned? I haven't earned anything. God does this because His nature is love, and He can't help it. And the real question, gang, is: Can we accept that? Can we believe it?